0: Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique specialist fertility and women's health practice caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new
1: state-of-the-art Caulfield practice Reach us at Women's and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr. Rayleigh Alou on the socials. Welcome to Knocked Up, the podcast about getting pregnant with Dr. Rayleigh Alou from Women's Health Melbourne. I don't know about you, but I have enough trouble trying a new hairdresser, let alone finding the doctor that's going to help me have a baby. Today, we talk about what to look for and how to work with your doctor. We've talked in previous podcasts about how the process is quite intensive and there's medical procedures and there are some difficult conversations. It involves the man, it involves the woman. It's not a lot of fun. If this was something I was going through, how would I know which doctor to choose. It sounds like the doctor I'm with on this is is a partner in the process. How do I know they've got the right qualifications?
0: A lot of patients choose a doctor on a uh, GP recommendation, and that's a reasonable way to look for a doctor because a GP will have a lot more insight than the average patient.
1: Is that if you've got a regular GP? What if you're going to a bulk billing clinic? You don't know they don't you don't have a history with someone. What kind of relationship do you, do you need to have with your GP in order for them to refer you?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So ideally it's nice to have a GP who knows you, who, who really understands the, the medical basis of your situation because they've done some preliminary tests on your yeah. behalf. Some people don't have that kind of GP or they might see a GP as a one-off and it's the second way that it is the most common for a patient to be referred is the patient goes on the internet and they have a look and they, they choose their doctor and go to a GP and say, so I'd like a referral to this doctor. Is that
1: a risk? Because we, we're not meant to use Google to diagnose medical conditions conditions, what, if we go on the internet, what should we be looking for?
0: So, there's a, unfortunately, there's a lot of variation in the qualifications of doctors in the sphere of fertility. Um, there's doctors who do a lot of treatment of fertility but don't have as high qualifications as others. I'll tell you the story of, of my history oh my um, and what I would look for in a doctor. Yeah. So um, when I first got interested in the field of infertility, um, I was quite young, I was a medical student and um, I went to an inspiring lecture and I thought this area of medicine is for me.
1: So when you become a doctor, you finish school, you get into medicine, obviously you've got to be pretty good to get into medicine. What's the process of becoming a doctor and when do you specialise?
0: So it's a pretty long process. It's um, a process that starts with your medical school and sometimes these days a lot of medical schools might be postgraduate. When I did medicine back in the day, I did an undergraduate course so I went to uni for six years to study medicine to become a doctor. But when you graduate as a doctor, your next role is in a public hospital as an intern and resident and only once you've done those couple of years of, of general Practical training, do you start to specialise and general practice is in itself a specialty, although those early years can, if you decide that you want to do general practice early on, they can to some degree count towards your early GP training. If you want to be a specialist as I did, I did my specialty training in obstetrics and gynaecology. Before I committed to that training program, I did an extra year as a resident called a streamed residency year. Um, where I just did obstetrics and gynaecology and a term of neonatal ICU. So
1: is that almost like a trial?
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a trial and it's a trial on, on two parts. It's a trial for you to see if it's the right field for you, that if it's a good fit and if it's really what you expected. But it's also a trial for the teams um, who are going to write your references to recommend you to a training program. So they're kind of trialling you out to see if you're any good. <laughs> no,
1: it's um, good. It's like to make sure the match is right before you start the next process, which takes how many years?
0: Yeah, so it takes an extra six years to just become a, an obstetrician gynaecologist.
1: So um, we're talking 13 years from when we finish school to becoming...
0: OBGYN. Yeah. And many people who do practice in IVF uh, have that qualification of Franz Cog and perhaps a fellow of the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. It's a mouthful. (laughs) But um, there's another level, um, which is called the CREI. And I've heard of this. Not many people have it. Yeah, the CREI is, um, it's quite elite. It's an extra three years of training on top of your six years of Specialty training to be so a. Now we're at sixteen years. That's right. So <laughs> then you're a subspecialist, and um, subspecialist. I, I often don't like the word subspecialist because it sounds like less than specialist. <laughs> but um,
1: whereas you've done actually sixteen years. Yeah.
0: So to have the CREI, you have to not only have done the extra time, but you also have to pass an extra set of pretty grueling examinations, both practical and also written. So not everybody gets the CREI, even if you start doing it and then also you have to have done significant research um, which is another component of the CREI as well as the three years extra time.
1: Okay, so there's quite a lot that goes into into this specialty when, yeah. when you decide this is what you want to do.
0: Yeah, so I would I would recommend that if you're if you're looking for somebody to look after you who's really got the top qualifications in this in this arena, you look for somebody who's got both a Franz Cog, a specialty in obstetrics and gynaecology, and a CREI, and then. Uh, People like myself, you know, um, who are gluttons for punishment might also have a Master of Medicine in Reproductive Health and and Human Genetics. And I also did a PhD in in genetics, um, which has got a lot of application in in fertility. So you're
1: an expert, which is
0: why we're talking to you today. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Okay, so... Obviously there's qualifications and it's. I think it's really good to look for because it is a bit of a minefield how to know someone's qualified. I think the average person would just be like, they're a doctor. This is what they do and not really know what else you need to be looking for. It's a very personal process and you are getting involved in a couple Personality to me would play a really important part. I'd need to be able to confide, confide and trust my doctor and know that they're looking after me. Um, how how do you work that out?
0: Look, it's hard to work out because really you find that on a first impression and often that means that you have a consultation and I do have patients come see me for a second opinion when they've seen somebody else and they haven't quite felt that, that that's been a good match for them and that's not uncommon. I think... With personality, it also depends on your personality, how you treat your patient's infertility. Some doctors like to outsource a lot of treatment and others who more value the interpersonal relationship with patients are more involved during treatment. So I've always found that I enjoy not only solving the problem, but I also enjoy being involved in that process because that's when as a doctor you get the most gratification from your patient's success and also as a control freak (laughs) you get to ensure that every aspect of treatment is applied in the exact way that you want it to be.
1: And then I think also if there are problems then you've known every step that's happened and can really talk through with your patient what's happened and what you'll do different next time or why the outcome is the outcome.
0: Yeah. yeah, well, exactly. I always say that in the first IVF cycle, it's quite diagnostic as well as therapeutic in that it's a privilege to be able to see what eggs and sperm do together. And it's a privilege to be able to see how a patient responds to your treatment. And you can take that information and apply it in their best interests if you make changes moving forward. So, being involved in the process, being involved in a patient's monitoring, being personally involved in a patient's procedures, and having that continuity of care as the only doctor looking after them, I find actually contributes to my patients having better success.
1: You've mentioned there very briefly that in the first round of, of IVF, that I think that's something that people don't really think about, is that often you do need more than one cycle. And we'll talk about that in a different episode Let's say you've, you've had a couple of cycles with a doctor. You're not getting a result. You're not feeling comfortable. There might be other reasons, maybe location, maybe you've moved. If you want to change doctors, what, what are things you should be considering?
0: So if you want to change doctors or if you want to have a second opinion, it's important to have a copy of all of your medical records. So any tests that you've had done, always ask for a copy of your results. Um, I always think it's very useful to keep a folder. And just have a copy of all your test results. You don't have to get the test done again. Yeah, exactly. Because one thing you don't want to do if you've been through a, a fertility treatment journey that's been unsuccessful to date is have to have duplication of effort and burden of, of repeat. And more blood tests. Yeah, more tests. Because if, 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 yeah. some tests won't change. Like, for example, if you've had genetic assessment of your chromosome map, that doesn't change. Mm-hmm. You don't have to repeat it. If you've had an ultrasound very recently, you don't have to repeat it. So it's good to have copies of all of those things. Every specialist you see will need a GP referral letter. So you will have to go back to your GP and ask for a new referral um, to see an alternative doctor. And look, different doctors have different approaches. Some are more holistic. Some are more of a protocolised approach. Someone who doesn't have the CReI qualification, who hasn't done that extra subspecialty training in reproductive endocrinology and specific management of infertility, is more likely to run your cycle on a a protocol. Yeah, as opposed to a more personalised approach. So it might be that if the standard option hasn't worked for you, that there might be other options that that could improve your outcome. Often I see patients who've started off in low cost clinics where there is a very protocolised approach, a very production line style of IVF.
1: So when you say a protocolised
0: every patient has the same treatment step
1: step 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 step, step,
0: exactly every patient has the same treatment every patient has um a different doctor yeah same drugs same days different different doctor every time they go in so um no continuity of care and it's it's very much kind of that's how you run a low-cost model yep um, so I do see patients often, if that hasn't worked for them then, and they do need the next level of care, um, that they do change doctors at that point. When you talk about continuity of care, explain what that means
1: in this process.
0: So from my point of view, continuity of care means looking after patients at every step of their treatment. So um, basically when I look after patients, the buck stops with me and I'm responsible for how that patient is treated during their their IVF cycle. So I decide on their medications, which is a decision that um, we take together in the context of of their history. Mm -hmm. And then I monitor their treatment personally while they're going through treatment. Uh, And then when it comes time for them to have a procedure, I do the procedure myself. And then when the lab take instructions, they take it from me. So I decide exactly what's going to happen in the lab. Mm -hmm. And then when um, they do have an embryo transfer, I do it personally as well. So that's what I mean by continuity of care.
1: Okay. So it's about having someone with you every step of the way, explaining what happens and overseeing it. Yeah. Something else that I think would be important are facilities. How, How do I know that my doctor really has the best of of what's needed and what is the best?
0: Yeah, well, look, there's a big range of facilities available. So lower cost model IVF, they really have a very basic laboratory with the very, very basics of equipment. Um, and in terms of staff as well, just like any organisation, you have your, your premium service model where you have, you know, headhunting of the very best staff. So for example, at Melbourne IVF where I take my patients for the IVF treatment in the lab, they not only invest in the absolute cutting edge of infrastructure, every new scientific development, every new piece of equipment, but also we headhunt the best staff from around the world. Um, an example is, for example, David Gardner, who's our head of science in the laboratory, is the guy who the grading system of blastocyst embryos is named after, and very famous in the world of, of IVF. And and our uh, kind of laboratory manager's been brought in from a, a lab in in America where the best success rates were achieved um, in the whole of the United States. So, so part of the cost of treatment in these facilities is paying for the best technology and the best people.
1: You've mentioned working with Melbourne IVF. So to explain to everyone, Melbourne IVF is a clinic in Melbourne um, that store the eggs. What else do they do and how do you work with them?
0: So because I've got in my fertility practice a whole range of patients, only a fraction of which need IVF because I also, as a CREI subspecialist, perform a whole range of treatments to help couples conceive, um, some that are completely separate from the need to use an IVF lab. I use Melbourne IVF as my lab when I take patients through an IVF cycle. So I'm not employed by Melbourne IVF, but I have a relationship with Melbourne IVF, much like I have a relationship with a private hospital if I take one of my patients to have an operation in a private hospital. So in terms of Melbourne IVF, one of the reasons that I chose Melbourne IVF as the lab that I was going to collaborate with um, is Melbourne IVF is a premium service laboratory. It, It really does invest super heavily in technology. So I have the access to the very best equipment for my patients in the lab. I have the access to the very best staff. Um, I have the access to a whole network of support people. For example, there's... This is passed on to your patients. Exactly. So this is what my patients can access, um, including counsellors and nursing staff to support. But also it means that I have the freedom to manage my patients in the model of care that I want to. So Melbourne IVF don't prescribe the way that I manage my patients. I manage my patients as individuals. Uh, Melbourne IVF is a lab that allows me to do all of my procedures personally. Other labs um, that you can affiliate with as a specialist um, might have a more protocolised approach. So you say make a plan but you surrender your patient to the system and you might not necessarily have very much to do with them during treatment. Um, and that's not really the way that I wanted to practise.
1: So most doctors in Australia, would they be tied to somewhere like Melbourne IVF, a particular
0: hospital? Uh, So Melbourne IVF... um, Yeah, a laboratory. Melbourne IVF are very choosy in in the doctors that that do affiliate with Melbourne IVF. Um, So not just anybody could. Uh, But in terms of... um, And that's just to protect their brand and their reputation... But um, most doctors would affiliate with one lab and, and that makes sense because especially um, running care for a, a whole group of patients, I would at, at any given point in time have many patients undertaking treatment. Um, just the practicality of using multiple labs doesn't make sense.
1: Okay. So if we're, when we're looking for a doctor, as a quick summary, it's qualifications. So we're saying FRANCOG, CREI just have a bit of a look at how are they qualified, what experience do they have, what's their personality, what can, we, what can we glean about their personality from what we see on the internet, what we see maybe from personal referral, what we can get from our GP, uh, what support they have and what facilities are they able to offer.
0: And, of course, location. I mean, you. although it is sometimes worth travelling for a special doctor, yeah. um, location also would play a part.
1: Because ultimately there's quite a few appointments and yeah. you need to be able to get to them.
0: Yeah, that's right. For more information about
1: Dr Rayleigh and fertility services, visit the Women's Health Melbourne website or find us on the socials under Women's Health Melbourne. Thank you for joining us. See you next week.